I'm Peter Jones, and welcome to The Foyne Jones Show. This podcast will be combining personality, passion, and our love of football, alongside industry and recruitment news. Our amazing guests will share their personal stories and also explain what they get up to when they're not at work. We are here in the beautiful city of Bath. We are recording the next episode of the Foyne Jones Show with a very special guest, Paul Crow, Mr. Crow, welcome to the Foyne Jones Show. Thank you, Peter. Nice to see you. It's going to be a brilliant podcast. You were a guest that I always wanted to invite when we come up with the podcast idea. I am saying that because you're sitting in front of me and it's making you smile. But I'm also saying it because you've got such an amazing story, not just about yourself and your journey, but the brand history, which really hit home with me when you explained it a year or so ago, and the journey to where you are now. So that's going to be the ripple story. We're going to talk about Paul crow inside of work and away from work so take a couple of seconds or a few a minute or so just to introduce yourself give us an idea of who you are and who I'm talking to okay well I'm uh, Paul and um, I'm best known actually as being Nicola's husband Nicola being my uh, my, my lovely wife of course who's our sales director great tactics there Paul put, put that in at the beginning of the episode really I know which side my bread's buttered and um Nicola's mum and dad actually are the reason I'm sat here because they started Ripples and we'll talk about those um, guys later. So um, I'm a Hampshire boy, we'll talk about Southampton Football Club, that's why that's dear, dear to my heart and uh, it was Ripples that brought me to Bath which I'm very grateful for. As you said it's a fantastic city. Beautiful part of the world. And uh, I've been in Ripples now for 20 years as a result, it's literally uh, 21st year, it kind of ties in with the, with the birth of my son as well so lots happened over that period. And uh, I'm now looking after the organisation, less so uh, the owners, Roger and Sandra, and, um, you know, enjoy it. I still enjoy coming to work. It's a great intro. You've, you've positioned yourself in the business world and you've brought your family into it as well. Yeah. And um, that's always come through from the different showrooms and the people that I've met within okay. the Ripples arena is that there's a, there's a community, there's a family, there's a, there's a way of work which is really special. But yeah. where, where, did, where did the working world, working life begin for you, Paul? Okay. I, I actually started as a bit of a computer nerd, Peter, um, which doesn't surprise some but does surprise others in that uh, I was the guy at home with the with a computer that everybody was playing games on. Uh, it was a ZX Spectrum. Oh, I remember them. 48K, I should add. I, I think, I, think I, got, I got upgraded to a Commodore 64. Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad. Um, whilst people were playing Jet Set Willy, I was the one reading the computer programming books on them, working out how to actually just do your own thing on them. And um, long story short, I left school at 16 without having a clue what I was going to do. And I didn't do very well at school, uh, with the exception of computer studies. Um, for obvious reasons and I found myself um, at the time uh, and I'm pleased to say now what a good opportunity it was I went to IBM who had a massive headquarters near Winchester a place called Hursley and they just started doing youth training schemes for the first time ever so it was a two-year course and I had uh, a ball for two years Peter I can honestly say that uh, at the time I thought it was quite normal that you had a clubhouse with a snooker table at lunchtime you know um, they took you on team building courses potholing everything so two years at IBM uh, learning more about the computer world that took me to uh, Manor Bakeries who we all know as Mr Kipling 
and I did eat a lot of those. I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah I, I, I nearly I did. did. I did it earlier. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think I'll keep. You won't want to know how big I was. Yeah, I'll, was I'll keep. Lunch. I'll keep the exceedingly jokes out of it. So. Apple pies, apple pies, and um, so I spent eight years there, and I and I worked for good people there uh, who taught me an awful lot, and I joined just at the time when computers were starting to really. Um, I guess make businesses, uh, large corporate businesses, much more uh, efficient. It was probably, what year was that? That was 88 I joined and I stayed there till about 96. So I went from being the trainee that was working um, extra hours to study manuals and you know be that, be that nerd to a manager with eight people within about sort of four years and a space out the front with my name on it. Um, way too early I have to say I didn't have a clue what I was doing although I thought that I did and I stayed there for eight years I, I then went to a fantastic organisation Ensley Insurance which is in Cheltenham and it was a similar sort of role a brilliant organisation I learned so much there about um, culture in a company uh, I hadn't realised Mr Kipling had a very poor culture but it, oh. was, it, it was the norm for me. I think that's going to trouble some of the listeners around my generation. Won't it, we, it, it might, Peter, but yeah. it might also explain why they're not doing very well. The factory closed down and all sorts of things mm. and mergers took place. But um, Ensley, which has gone in the opposite direction, I, I learned so much from them in, in, a, in a brilliant environment with great people, not a single negative. I stayed there for two years, and it was during those two years that I met... Um, same met, I'd already known Roger, but he started introducing to me the idea of working for Ripples. He'd opened a, a showroom in Bristol as, as a pilot with um, what was effectively friends of the family for him, who still run it today and very well. He'd opened another showroom in Cheltenham with what was the manager of his bath store and said, um, do you fancy joining me and seeing what happens? And that mm. was 1998, so here I am. So the journey began at IBM, yeah, and and it went to Enderly Insurance. So you know they're two two at the time globally of, of very large PLCs. Certainly so, corporate, yeah. So much. corporate, yeah. let's say corporate companies. Yeah. The the Ripple's journey began very different to that. It, Indeed, it's yeah. it's privately owned. It's someone. It's an individual's vision. Yeah. Um, how did what what was that transition like coming in coming away from the, okay. the corporate world and and beginning that journey with Ripple's. In all honesty, it was um, really difficult, really, really difficult, uh, and at times quite horrible because it was a culture shock. Mm. Um, I had no experience of dealing with the public at all, and and I'm still not very good with them. You know, that's that's why I'm in this head office role, if you like. And um, I found it really difficult that somebody could be so rude to you and impatient with you. You know, whenever it suited them. Mm. I found it difficult that you had to know every single thing that was going on in the business, you know, right from the customer that's just about to come in, the customer that's just ordered, what's going on with cash flow, are the wages going to be paid this month? And for the first six months, I can honestly say I didn't know if I was coming or going. Mm. And my objective, if you like, that I'd set myself is just master every single aspect of every job. Don't change anything, but just learn it. But it was it so was, absorb um, yourself into the different yeah. areas of trading. Peter, but, I yeah. worked in the stores that are at the back here, 
um, 11 o'clock at night marking up boxes that I knew had to be out the next day or perhaps even should have been out that day. And it's what was your position at the time? I came in as showroom manager. Yeah. I had a great team that I inherited and effectively Roger said, um, here's the keys. I won't um, be in your face. It's important that you you know, you know learn from the team, but you know they are that team. I'd spent some time with them beforehand seeing if I mm. felt I could work with them and, and, I, and I certainly could. Many of them I'm still in touch with today, personally, a, a really good team. And it really was sit at the front desk and, and make sure we make some money. One that when I was here, and it was amazingly poor, it was, it was just, just about a year ago, it's just it, over well, a year ago, okay. yeah. Goes there you quickly, go. It, it? it certainly does, <laughs> mate. Like, you you look younger, <laughs> I look younger, it's good. Thank you. You know, we both look young, don't we, Callum? Of course yeah. we do. Yeah, we do. He's, he's nodding enthusiastically. Yeah. But one of the things I left away from here, and we've used it in projects we've worked on in different areas, is working for Ripples is a lifestyle, it's not a yeah. job. Yeah. And that comes through, doesn't it, in every position. It, it, it does, Peter. It's very easy. When, when you're younger, you're talking about your career in, in, in monetary terms, aren't you? Job titles, business cards, what car you're going to have. It's everything's graded and measured. Um, and then you learn, uh, as, as, as we do in terms of the people that we meet that are interested in a franchise, whether they go ahead or not, and, and certainly the people that we, that we work with today, whether they're supplying to us, they're buying from us or working with us, is that... Everybody actually just wants to fundamentally have a peaceful life. They want to enjoy what they do, of course they do, but they don't want strain, they don't want stress, and if they do, it's got to be worth it. And the more that you realise that in yourself, the easier it is to make decisions, to, to understand um, fundamentally what you want to do with your life and therefore how you want to apply it to your work. And in Ripples, Roger and Sanja just actually said, if we're going to put all our money into a business, we want to serve people that we actually like, yeah, and we want to work the hours that suit them. Which, in Roger's case, was every hour that he could. That's that is that's very much his nature, as you can imagine. Sandra too, to be fair. And we wanted to sell what we wanted to sell. We wanted mm. to sell products we'd like to buy, and we wanted to work in a way that actually we felt we could enjoy being in work. So, Ripples really is to this day, the personality of Roger and Sandra, and all we ever try to do is replicate that in different locations. Uh, so just to, to sum up the, the Ripple story, how would you, in just you know thirty seconds to a minute, sum up Ripples as it is now in you know going into May two thousand and nineteen? We've got a very clear, I think, uh, DNA now, Peter. I believe that we're very um, we're very character driven. We want people that are going to contribute to our DNA, which is effectively love the products that we sell because they're good quality and desirable. They've got to um, want to look after the customer, and this, the word service is overused, but they've got to actually want to make sure that the customer is happy with the whole package that they've bought into from Ripples. And they've got to appreciate the importance of um, design, not just in the bathroom, but in how you present yourself, yeah. the showroom, the coffee that the clients drink and everything. It's always best in class, Paul. Thank you. I said it's that to Callum, would you agree, Callum? Yeah. yeah I, I said that on the way, I said, Paul, will he will bring the tray out and the coffee will be good. I probably have never told you, I can tell you that every single person that joined the company when Roger was daily involved had training on how to set out the tray of coffees, including you, myself. I, I remember the story about the lady on the boat yes. in, in America and the, and yeah. the standards, and I remember that That's there, right, and, yeah. the, and the coffee. 
ginger. That's the one. That's the one. And and you know it's something which, Matters which, opinion, which, which it? people remember. You remember. Yeah. You, you remember mm. the restaurant where someone does something nice. The bar where yeah. you get a good service. The person just in general life who yeah. goes. They're just someone who's nice leaves you with a warm feeling. And you know I'm, I'm I'm involved in quite a big sort of retail purchase at the moment, car. You know, so okay. it's quite a big purchase. And, and I've just watched this horror story unfold around me of how not to treat someone who's yeah. not spending an amazing amount of money, but I'm spending thirty odd grand, it's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, it's just how not to kind of. It's got a lot to learn, isn't it? You, and you look yeah. at it, and you just think, wow. Mm-hmm. Now I deal with very difficult. Or I probably deal with the most challenging products. I work with human beings, yeah. so you are susceptible to all sorts of ways in and all sorts of way out. And what I try and achieve from a Floyd Jones experience is that you know you you get treated with respect, you get treated with humility. Mm-hmm. We're polite, we're passionate, we're infectious because that's a representation mm-hmm. of me. Most more often than not, if you're a job seeker, and I'm happy to say this, because I say it to anyone, we won't have what you're looking for when you first engage with us. So it's managing that expectation, delivering, coming back to someone when to show you've listened, but being transparent and honest, puts you in a great place. And then from the other side, if you're recruiting for a certain market, a certain individual, certain business, to, to show interest in what they're about culturally, how someone could fit, mm. that stands you out. So it's 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 personable, I think, is probably the probably the Don't way. you think that Peter, it's 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 refreshing that it's it's actually okay today to be authentic. Yeah, I think so. And whereas in the past we've maybe all had these profiles of what we should be there, saying. There was doing there was a I remember a job during, title during my working life there was a a job title, a buzzword, a a yeah. way of communicating mm. which was seen as on vogue or seen as the way to do it. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, let's not all blue sky. Let's let's not, you know, let's not take five or, you know, actually, you know, but you know, we laugh about it now. But yeah. but I use those words in boardrooms, yeah. you know, and I use them to we're my all team. reaching out to each other now, aren't we? Yeah, I think we're, I think we're all a bit we want to be a bit nicer and a bit more softer. But but actually, you can't if someone's passionate and and, and I believe in this, and it, it's come through with some of my guests. You know, people's passions can be in so many different arenas. I, I spoke to, to, to an amazing guy who was um, in kitchens and he was really passionate about building aquariums. Okay. Right? Now, I, I went into this, this conversation thinking like, okay, you know, we'll just get through. But he spoke so passionately about the climate, the way you do it, the, the best way to position it in a house to, to get there. Mm. And I just put... It becomes like, interesting. Find this hard for, wow, mm. you know, I don't want to build one, and, but you've, not, yeah. you've kept me with you because he spoke with such... Such belief in it, and and I think where you've got Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Mr. and Mrs. Church walking into the showroom, or you know one of them being more dominant than the other, you know, in terms of what they're looking for, mm. a nice bathroom, you know, or a, a nice suite of bathrooms in your property, it's a, it's such an emotional and financial purchase yeah. that your designers, your showroom managers, for whoever, wherever they are geographically have to be on point with that person. So having the right appearance, the the right coffee, the, the right yeah. the right way of engaging. You know, I, I watch this and you see people that have the ability to talk to the children, still be talking to the, the decision maker, but not forgetting the person who's perhaps signing the check. Yeah. And, and if you can make that work and remember when they come in, we, we, it's not a sound, is it? It's a relationship. Prof- exactly. And you've, you, you know us because you've profiled our business. Obviously, you've, you've provided us with staff. And 
you know that we want people that are our, our mum's friends with life from you know yeah. and, we, and we want to treat people like they're our mum's friend and that we've got if they thought for a moment we're trying to close a deal down with them at the desk we failed and we've had that image actually in, in the past and therefore I had to work at um, I guess um, showing people that we've got normal people that actually know how to help them with their basket. It's funny though, I was, um, my son's doing some landscaping, my youngest son Henry, he's doing some landscaping work at the moment and he's working around Hurst Pierpoint, Hassock, Savings Heath, Lewis. And nice area, I, yeah, yeah, and there's some big gardens around some there, lovely, so for yeah, hard and yeah. soft landscaping, there's some budgets. Yeah, but he was, um, he went for, I was picking him up, he went for a coffee on Hassock's, the highest high road, high street, main road. And I actually picked him up. He was leaning on the, the balcony near where, you, near where your showroom is. And obviously, I know Chris, but yeah. he was saying, oh, he actually said to me, they're nice baths in there, Dad, aren't they? And I, said, I actually remember saying, I said, they're actually a really nice company as well. But it's amazing that, you know, that, that display has caught the attention of a 16 year old yeah. boy purely because he's looking around. And, and that makes a difference, doesn't it? And that, that's got to be something that, that you set out for. It is. It's. It's. It's deliberate. It's talked about all the time. We're very critical of it I, mm. internally. If you came to our meetings, we're, we're never happy. With do, it, do, do the displays are they reflective of the showroom owner or the geography, the demographic around it? Or am I going to? Is no, that too no. in depth? It, it, in all honesty, it's they're absolutely reflective of within reason the showmoner. There's clearly a context in that we are as a group selling uh, from the same manufacturers. We mm. work hard to keep a portfolio of products quite tight. But what they, if, if you like, is a term that we often use in, in, in-house. We say to the designers, we'll provide you with the ingredients. You come up with the recipe and the meal. And we will make sure that we bring people who are experienced at knowing how to use those products. If we give them those products, which is a, a key part of my role, come up with something that is you. And therefore, every display should be different in ripples. We would never say this is the display you should have in your showroom, you know, put it in that position in your window. As to which ones work and which ones don't, I don't think that we've got the desire or the needs mm. to sit there and stare at a spreadsheet and look at the sales figures for the reasons that you just said about yeah. your son, is that you're trying to just make sure that you're communicating so many different messages to the customer we trust our designers in what they come up with and we leave that to our franchise owners. Fantastic. Paul, it's been absolutely brilliant just to, to get to know your story a little bit more. You, you've let a lot more out than what you kept guarded last time. Okay. Uh, so that was good. And you've shared it with all of our listeners on, on social media and all, the, and all the people that subscribe to the podcast. But what I really want to bring to life, and this is what people have asked me, knowing, okay. knowing that this show's going ahead, is from an investment perspective, from a husband and wife perspective, or a business owner's perspective... What does it mean if you want to become a Ripples franchisee? Where okay. does that dream start? Okay. What steps do you have to go through? Can you take some time to, to talk to us about that? Of course, yeah. I mean, we've met now so many, um, literally hundreds of people that have expressed an interest um, in us. And clearly not all of them have proceeded with the high majority, Peter, in all honesty, are where we've chosen not to proceed. So um, we've got a very clear vision in our head of who we're looking for. The journey is ultimately nowadays, like most things, people go online and they want to understand what type of business that we are. And we've talked a lot today about the character of us as people. 
So we put that out there. We, we, mm. we, we are there now to be seen and judged and people can decide if they like us or not. And, and fundamentally, we're therefore trying to appeal to people that would say, I quite like these guys. You know, I quite like the way that they work. And if I had my own showroom, I would run it like they run this. Mm. And there might be some, you know, some differences, which is fine. But principally, they're saying, I, I would like to run my own showroom and I'd like it to be like a Ripple's. If we've got them to be that interested with that level of desire, then that's the stage they tend to start talking to us, downloading a few things, giving email addresses. So people tend to have an interest in our industry. Yeah. They've, as you know, it's a people orientated business. It's a very good business in that, you know, you, you can't afford to fall out with people because mm. you just bump into everybody all the time. And people from that industry tend to be more authentic, understand that things go wrong, understand that you've got to make a difference to the day. So on the whole, people are working in showrooms, they're designers uh, who want to go to the next level and frankly earn the sort of money that their boss is earning yeah. or more. There are people that are managing showrooms that are um, at that stage, the children are get a little bit more settled at school, they might be in their late 30s, they want to prove that they can do it on their own ultimately. And often it's a lot of people that hit a junction, there's something that they want to get away from, a boss financial constraints, constraints over decision-making, lifestyles, wanting to bring their partner into the business, for example. So, so almost, almost I, want, I don't want to use the word midlife crisis, that, that's, that's not, not appropriate, but, but it's the junction, I get that, because it's yeah. where, okay, where do I go next? Do I, yeah. do I commit to another 10 years in this corporate world? Yes. Do I go and travel the world? You know, and yeah. and sell the lot and go travel the world, or, or do I actually do something which I'm passionate about and can can build up and and become part of? I don't think you find out who you are until you start getting into your thirties. You start yeah. to actually understand a bit more about your own. I'm character. 44 and still trying. Well, I think it's ongoing, isn't it, for all of us? But I think you become more settled. You you, you chill both financially a bit more settled. Yeah. Your children are a little bit easier to manage that sort of thing. And then you start, if I'm truthful, I think what a lot of people say to us, they start to see that people making more money than them aren't smarter than them, aren't working as hard as they are. And they start to say to us, do you know what, I can do this. And that self-belief is uh, present with the high majority of people who come to see us. So then it comes back down to two key things, suitability and financial um, capability. The suitability is easy. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say we judge our instincts, but you can tell very quickly whether someone is um, the, the right type of candidate, and then we get to know them very well with various different meetings. And, and that that instinct, that, that if someone is right for that, is that the kind of way you mentioned before, and it really stood out actually, where, where there's like a clear DNA with, with what you're looking for, something within a couple, within a person, that represents your values? It, it, it is... Peter, you've got, to, you've got to have certain qualities. You've got to be optimistic. You've got to be able to tell us what you like about our business. And it needs to match the things that we're proud of about mm. our business. Because if you can't see it, then you're not going to be able to execute it locally in your own area. And it's just a symmetry that you just know when it's there. The things that are just mutually, sometimes going into conversations, you know, till 10 o'clock in the evening and you think, God, are we ever going to finish? But there's just an excitement about what we are doing and they're almost selling themselves to us because they're so desperate to be part of it. And when that happens, it's just, it's lovely and, it, and, yeah. it, and it's humbling. 
but it also it's really inspiring and you want to find out how you can make it work. So so people that are listening to this and they're inspired and yeah. you know they're perhaps with, from within KBB or they've been within it or, or close to okay. it and you know they, they really like this idea. Yeah. What what are the, the steps? What's the levels of investment they need to be be prepared to think about to, to make this dream become reality for them? In the first instance, you can't open any franchise of any level unless you're going to be prepared to put some money on the table. So the first question is, how much money do I need to put on the table? Mm. It can be as, as low as fifteen to twenty thousand pounds, and the banks don't mind um, unofficially whether you've borrowed that from from relatives or whatever. But you need that sort of uh, initial capital. Nowadays, because franchising is so successful, um, and I'm not just talking about ripples yeah. or interiors, but it is so successful, the banks um, have offered unsecured lending up to £50,000, for mm. example. They will lend you over 70% of the total investment cost. It's all about the suitability of the candidate and the right franchisor. Yeah. Because we've been vetted, we've been signed off by HSBC, Barclays, people like that, if we find the right candidate who can come to the table with fifteen to twenty thousand pounds, we can get their showroom mm. open, and the actual um, total investment cost purely boils down to where is the showroom, the size of the showroom, and what work mm. is required on the showroom to get it up to, to, to re- ready to train. Now that, that's interesting because I mean I, I knew those numbers from okay. before, but but if we had you know ten people in the room that yeah. were in it that were interested. And you ask them, you know, just straight off the street, what, what sort of level of investment do you, do you believe you need? They'd say it'd be higher. Uh, everyone would yeah, say yeah. higher than that. Yeah. And, and, I, you know, and, and I know that with the favourable relationships with the, the banks and lenders, you can, you can influence that and the, the success of franchisees. But, but to get to that figure, it's not an unsizable amount of money. It's a lot of sure. money. But to get to that is arguably achievable for more people than probably realise, isn't it? It, it is, and it's so well regulated, the franchise yeah. industry, by the British Franchise Association, that we're probably all a bit too, um, honest is the wrong word, because everybody is, but we're too scared to appear to be misleading people. Yeah. And, and therefore... It's a long way back if you get some negative press, isn't it? It, it, it is, Peter. And, and if the franchise industry historically was known for showing pictures of people diving off yachts and, you know, into the Caribbean and come and buy our franchise and, and make I saw you in the white trunks, probably. Well, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so everyone became kind of nervous. It became known as the economy of trust. Yeah. And, and you therefore had to be so, again, authentic. So as a result of that, we, um, we, we regulated all of our um, sales material to just always state, not the best case scenario, worst case scenario, but the typical scenario, and we're comfortable with that. In reality, we're still commercial, we're still here to build a business. If the right individual is in front of us, Peter, we, were, we will find a way to open yeah. a showroom with them. And if they said, Paul, I'm struggling a little bit here and there, we can find properties that we know that will work if the individual is good. I was going to talk about that. So, so is do you have kind of like yeah, locations where you know you really would love to put a, a showroom in, but you can't find the right franchisee, or are there yes. or are there franchisees that are really desperate to put one on their street around the corner, and in your heart you kind of go, look, it's not going to work there. We Did do, you come up with those scenarios? We, we do. We, um, what we work back from is we get a really good hit rate on our consumer webpage. Yeah. And one of the key things we're looking for our consumers to do is to basically give us their information in return for downloading a brochure or, or, or whatever. 
and we heat map those inquiries and, and, and we literally cover a map of the UK with these little red dots on Google with a high percentage of those areas where we don't have showrooms. So we know there's an interest and a demand for what we do, which is very frustrating. So what we look at in terms of the area, more so by county than by town or, or, yeah. or specifically by demographic, we look at what other businesses are there. Is there an M&S food there? Yeah. Is there a BMW dealer there? Is it, is it, a, is it a nice middle class area? Yeah. We're not looking for the richest streets because yeah. you know they, they are in pockets all over the country. The Waitrose customer. It's exactly yeah. that, Peter, yeah. That's, that's who pays Re- the bills. I used this last time, but reassuringly expensive. That, Absolutely. That, that little bit more for that, that touch of quality. Paul, this has been brilliant. We've spoken about the Ripple story, the, uh, your journey from those exceedingly good days at Mr Kipling <laughs> and, and IBM to, to where, where you are now. And I just want to kind of you know, explore some of the amazing work you're doing with your cycling and for okay. the Sanitation First charity. So who are they and, and what, what do they do, the charity, first of all? It's a local charity that we got to know primarily because they are local. They knocked on our door one day and... Um, what they do is a small team of people who set up approximately 10 years ago who got a little bit fed up with the larger charities taking an awful lot of money, millions, and having quite a large infrastructure running costs for the charity. So what they do is they go into places like Sierra Leone um, and, and pockets wow. of India and provide sanitation facilities to people that just simply don't have them, can't afford to have them. And it touched a nerve with us, if I'm honest, Peter, because... Um, at first, I don't and shouldn't admit it, but it was a case of you've got to be seen to be working with a charity. It's a decent thing to be doing, and it's there's an alignment clearly with sanitation and bathrooms. Let's work with them then. The moment you meet the people who are also the ones getting on the plane going out to yeah. India, and you understand the, the work that they're doing and, and the huge benefits, when in effect they're saying, look, Paul, if you gave us £500, we'll put a toilet into a school that would mean a 25% increase in the number of people that go to school. Which means that their parents can work, which yeah. means that, and then this toilet also would fertilize the crops and increases the yield by this side. And you start being amazed, frankly, by the, the massive differences this one thing can do. So it empowers you really to kind of take more interest in it and to, to look at what you can do. And again, perhaps selfishly, you look at what your own hobbies are. For me, it was um, cycling. And look at how you can just link the two together. And before I know it, we're taking people over to Paris from London. And you've done this a few times now, haven't you? I've done it personally about four times. Yeah. I, I know the route without a map now. And you pass my back door. And we do, yeah. yeah. It's a nice part of the world. It's always a good part, actually, yeah. to be fair. Some nice pubs down there, Peter. Sussex, right? That's, that's why I'm not in West London no more. The, uh, the, the Jugs. The, Kingston, is it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So we've done that a few times and, and it's always been so well supported by the people in Ripples. That's what's yeah. been nice. People that have never been That's on fantastic. bikes before. Oh. People have, it's quite humbling. They, they say to me after it's pulled out, it was life-changing. I was scared when I got on that bike at um, London and I'm like, I go out every weekend so I forget that. And, yeah. it's, and they get to Paris and they're crying with joy at the, the, the challenge that they've risen to. That's a lovely feeling for me that I've, I've helped people do that. And then you sit down with a charity a few weeks later and they tell you, um, show you photographs of the village that's been transformed by that. And you think, we're all making a difference here whilst enjoying yeah. ourselves. This is great. 
I think anything that you do for charity, and I, I do, I do, my, my, I've done my fair share over the years mm. from walks and running marathons and, sure, and yeah. lots of walks. But, but you know, you have a reason behind it. You know, the first marathon I did it was for Parkinson's because my father-in-law sadly got got Parkinson's, and it made a difference to me. Then I did a couple for helping under child, and you know, latterly I've been really pioneering men's mental health and calm and the suicide issues that mm. that are out there. But you 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 put it out. But when you what what I remember from doing the really long walk is some of the message I would I was getting from people that have lost someone, yeah. and you start to understand not just the position that person must have been in to to take their own life, but mm. the effect it's had on people left behind yeah. I've really got empathy when you say that if someone shows you the difference that toilet's made mm. that 500 English pound has actually done all of this yeah. imagine what we could do if we get four people to put in that or we, we do that so so to keep it going is hard because I think yeah. what people don't see with the with any fundraising or any charity work is the the, the event itself is kind of the, not the glory but it, there's still pain involved but yeah. it's enjoyable mm. but the actual the training the preparation the logistics the, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I've seen you you know mm. looking for sponsors looking for people to come in board and, and get behind it, it it is a lot of work but it's a project you know we, we put project plans together yeah. you know we had but you've been supported well by your industry haven't you your manufacturers well. and people within it and that's powerful as well we've, we've been supported I, I pride myself I have to say on having good relationships with our suppliers anyway and you know we ask a lot for them but I want to get on with them and therefore we're we're fortunate that our organization means we get access to the director level of these people but they've been incredibly supportive both in terms of having people on the rides paying uh, extra money for support sponsoring jerseys writing out checks that go direct to the charity asking me not to tell people that they're doing that you know not wanting the publicity and, 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 and so on so to, to raise twenty thousand on the last one, and to, and then to you know to, to compute what that actually means, you know we, we we transformed an area, and you forget that when you start yeah. with this. I actually said I was going to do it, in the hope that I could get enough people to get ten people to do it. And when people would ask me how many I needed, I would say twenty, thinking I'll maybe get my ten yeah. then. And we got um, we got our twenty. And when they said, how much money are you going to raise? I thought, well, if everybody raises £500, that's £10,000. Um, and then we got the 20000 So it was, I guess, think big and, and, and go for it. It will happen. And what a difference you made. Yeah. And is it going ahead this year as well? I thought I'd give people a rest. Give them a rest. A little bit, feel a bit conscious about shaking the tin in yeah. front of people. I'm con- I, know, I know how... Because it's I, the same I, I understand people. that thought process because I've got yeah. that same network and... Yeah. Yeah, there comes a time when you're not quite sure, is it? Yeah. I'd say categorically, if, if people said, Paul, we would do it if you organised it, I would do it absolutely. Yeah. And, and if that meant it was a completely new set of people, new set well, of sponsors. What an audience to reach out to. Thank Paul. you very much. Yeah, I would. If anyone wants to go London to Paris. Um, London to Paris with Paul Crow and the Sanitation First Team. What a great way to end that part of the show. A life-changing experience. And a life-changing experience to boot. Thank you very much, Paul.
Paul, we're yes. at what, what has now become known as my favourite part of the show because it's football or sports related. That's not undermining anything we've spoken about, of course. Um, now, I'm told by people that support certain teams that there's only one team in Hampshire, mm-hmm. but when I look on the map, there's three teams in Hampshire, uh, two of them more well-known than one, and you support one of the bigger teams in Hampshire. Why are you a Saints fan, Paul? Why Southampton? My dad is uh, was a policeman, and his uh, responsibility was to dress up and to be spat on down at the Dell. So he used to open up the gate and let me in. Okay, in, I, so in your crept? So literally, yeah. in, in those days, there Good was Dale. What, what a ground. Fantastic ground. So I used to turn up with my cousins and, uh, and my friends as, a, as an eight-year-old. So give me an ear, Paul. This is Mick Shannon, this is Annabelle, so yeah, this is before Keegan actually, so Keegan I think came in about 79 I think it was, so late 70s for Great me with kit. my Iconic first memories. Iconic kit back then though, the Saints kit. Yeah, I can still visualise Mick Shannon swinging his arm around with the old red and white stripes yeah. basically, so um, that's late 70s, that, that took us through to um, the early 80s and... As you know, you just don't change your colours yeah. after that. So you mentioned there that your, your first experience was through your through your dad's legs into the into the Dell. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of watching Fulham lose at both stadiums, but I've also had the pleasure of watching us win at the Dell. Okay, never seen us do anything better than I saw George Best years. playing for Fulham at the Dell. There, so that, that's didn't 70s. know it at the time. It was, yeah. I was told later it was George Best, and I was told at the time, but I didn't appreciate who George Best was. Yeah, well, that would have been 76, 77 season. Well, there you go. Yeah, that would have been then. So. I, I believe that St Mary's is actually a modern stadium that's got it right, you know, because it's yeah. still in the still still where it is. But but if you had to choose, would you like to watch them at the Dell or St Mary's? I would say the Dell categorically, and for all of the practical reasons, St Mary's is you know it's a Sabutio stadium, isn't it? Yeah. It just is designed around everything you need it to be. But my memories of those floodlit nights in the midweek um, in an FA Cup thriller when you're trying to get a late equaliser or you're, you're, you're winning or you score a late winner and that roar as everybody rushes forward and the players are heard and touchable. I can't take that romance away. That's the deal every time. And who in your journey as a Southampton fan would be your favourite ever player? That's question three. I think that's the same answer for every Southampton fan and it's, it's Letitia because of his loyalty, his dedication to his craft and... I think if most football fans were honest, they actually all want to be on that pitch and good enough to play for that team. And you all want to score goals like he did. And they all want to have yeah. the skills that he did. So Matt Letizia. Yeah. And to actually survive as long as he did, scoring the goals he did with you know the the, the perceived fitness levels, yeah. and there's a difference between real fitness and perceived fitness. Yeah. The guy must have. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've seen him play, but I've watched him. I've watched the watched the the goals back, and and it's just like a catalogue of wonder goals against some of them, and to, but to be scoring them in a team which, with all due respect, was yeah, was you know lower mid table, mid table yeah. battling relegation. Absolutely. You know, imagine if he did get that move, but perhaps the fact he didn't is what makes him so endearing to the. To I the think Saints if you look fans. at his stats as a midfielder. His, it's phenomenal. You know, people talk about Frank Lampard. Letizia's statistics were second to none, and the seasons that he played with people like Rod Wallace, yeah. he was just on a completely different level. And I remember the Wallace brothers. Yeah, yeah. Ray, Ray and Rod, and uh, Rod, Rod and Danny. And there was the old. Yeah, one, Danny went it? to Man U. Uh, yeah. I think Rodney went to uh, to Leeds in the end, but they were phenomenal together. Yeah. Those two at Southampton. Fantastic. You can you, you can just see you coming alive when you're talking about it. So so in the in the in the sort of the, the current. Southampton, Southampton team. Um, what are your hopes for next season? 
I looked at the table and I thought, where could we be with this manager who I rate, uh, I feel is having the same sort of impact that Pochettino had when he came. And it's a similar style of management, actually. And I look at um, where the three divisions are of the Premiership. I honestly think, Peter, we, I wouldn't be surprised if we can get a tenth. I really do. And I, and I think that we should be able to get a tenth. It's a good squad. So we, we do the penalty shootout in, in five. So there's five, there's five questions. So you've told me for question one why you're a Southampton fan. You've, you've you know, emotionally, and I'm so glad you prefer the old stadium to the new stadium, because we all do. It's why we're old. Yeah. You know, of course you do. Uh, your favourite player, I mean, I probably could have answered that for you, but it's yeah. nice to hear why. And, you know, I think that's optimistic for, for, for a top ten, yeah, top ten finish. Football but, fans but football, Oh, it's the, hope that, it's the hope that kills you, Paul. It's the hope that finishes Absolutely, you off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, give me one moment in watching Southampton, which has been like the truly most special moment for you. That 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 you that blowing up the Death Star moment, which is what I called when Fulham beat yeah. Chelsea, and that I don't know what to do. I'm crying my eyes out when Fulham won at Wembley. Okay, that type of moment. That's a great question. Let me think about that for a second. Um... I mean, I've got another full of one. Is when I, while you're thinking, when yeah. I, um, when we were under Roy Hodgson, we went on our European journey. Yeah. I, I got as emotional seeing Juventus and Fulham on the scoreboard. Okay. You know, we lost that three-one and yeah. somehow beat them five-one at, at home to go through. But, but I got so emotional just bearing in mind I saw Fulham, Fulham v Barnet, Fulham v Macclesfield, okay. seeing us on the same scoreboard as Juventus and taking my two boys to to Turin to watch that was amazing. Uh, that moment kind of. Just, just in 2010 was was surreal because go back to 1996, mm. not that long before well, we were in the old division then. four. I, I I tell you what it was, and I can't remember the year. Probably about 2012. We were second in the championship. We uh, needed to win that game to be guaranteed promotion. Last game of the season. We're playing Coventry, who'd already already been relegated. And my son Charlie, who's 21 now had grown up with Wayne Rooney written on his back in a Man United shirt like all of his friends. And I took him to that match and I bought him a Southampton shirt trying to brainwash him as I did. Dip him as you do. We scored an early goal. Uh, we were 3-0 up very quickly. We were promoted. So the atmosphere within yeah. St Mary's was amazing. It was just a, a carnival atmosphere. Even the Coventry fans were dressed up dancing and, and, and singing uh, to their credit. And I looked round at my son and he had his arms in the air as we were singing um, Oh When the Saints. Yeah. And I thought, this is a moment between me and him that we're sharing, and yeah. he will now forever be a Saints fan, which, which um, yeah. I'm I, I've got, I've got some moments to that. There's some footage of the playoff final. I mean, I still talk about the good day. You know, it, was only, it was only a year ago last May. <laughs> but, but there's some stuff for the, the playoff final mm. where my wife took it, and there's me and the two boys, mm. and we're seeing Ryan Sessegnon, he's one of our own, and yeah. you know, we're, we're there in the emotion. And I actually can't sit I actually stop singing because I'm, I'm breaking into tears and right. I don't know what I'm crying at mm. but but for a few months afterwards I was still thinking about that and still getting quite emotional and and I think that's that's why you're a football fan because if you follow Saints or you follow mm. Fulham you're not in it for Premier League victories yeah. and Champions League and glory you're in it because you, your dad put you in it when you went through his legs yeah and if you're therefore passing that on to someone and seeing that, that, that ultimately that love that you're passing on is it's, yeah. it's the same thing it's, it's just it is tribal. It's just a few points. Is there is there only one team in Hampshire? Well, I'll let you know. We're playing Bournemouth Saturday. Okay. <laughs> no worries, <laughs> Paul. Thank you very much. That's the end of the penalty shootout.
for a closing message, what would you like to convey? Well, I hope, Peter, that what's got across uh, about Ripples is that um, it's a great place to work. You know, it's a great place to, uh, to be with, with lots going on. And I would hope that anybody who loves the world of bathrooms for everything that it, um, that it means and, and loves working with like-minded people, come and have a cup of coffee with us. Meet us. Find out what we're like. And I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised at, A, how much money you can make, um, B, how much um, it can really transform your life. And I guess finally, um, how it can just be a lot more for you than you ever thought a franchise could be. Paul, I genuinely mean it. When we came up with, towards the end of last year, we were doing some pilots and we were talking about what we wanted to achieve from, from the right, podcast. Yeah. We wanted to bring some, we wanted to humanise an individual who's well known within, within, within our industries. We wanted to talk about the way their business has grown and what their role is, is in the business. We wanted to kind of bring you to life away from work. So, you know, that's really good. And, and give you a chance to put your message out. I mean, and throw some football in as well or throw some sport in. This episode, Callum, it's, it's, it's encapsulated everything we could ever want from the podcast. You've been a brilliant guest. Oh, that's Bob. good. Thank you. Really Thank you very it. much. And you, Peter. Thank really you. good. So that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Foyne Jones by visiting our website or connecting with me on LinkedIn. We are Foyne Jones. This is what we do.